0: welcome to the british tv podcast 2011 holiday special i'm ryan in seattle
1: i'm chrissy in seattle although it it just continues because tonight of course we've got big fat quiz
0: yep with
1: eddie azard in it which will be great
0: and great expectations Yes. So there's things we aren't going to review for you because we jumped the gun, but we've got plenty of oh, yeah. holiday programs to discuss. How was your Christmas, Chrissy?
1: Small, as usual. You know, I don't think my family's done actual wrapped presents in more than 10 years, so we just do stockings. But they can be some pretty nice stockings, you know, when you put the gift cards and the gift certs in there. they uh, Everyone came to mine, and I cooked Jamie Oliver's recipe for roasted pork belly. Because I always thought... It sounded too fatty, but then I had some at M&S in the deli in London, and it was so delicious. It was the best pork I ever had, so I thought, well, I've got to find this when I get back because it's kind of a boutique meat right now, and a lot of the real fancy bistros are serving it, but to find it, I had to go to an Asian market and buy it, and I did Jamie's recipe where you score the the skin and make crackling and then you roast it with tons of veg and he in his recipe he uses the word lovely I think three times you know <laughs> the lovely roasty bits the lovely veg the lovely this and that the lovely layer of fat so and we agreed it was lovely and so we had that we had potatoes and Jamie's gravy and roasted beets and my mom made ambrosia salad and then we just had some cupcakes for dessert.
0: Now do you this Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day? Christmas Day at uh-huh. my
1: place. Because I much prefer to cook at my place, unless I'm cooking at your place.
0: <laughs> well, it would have been a fail if you did it over here because we lost electricity in the middle of oh, the day.
1: You know that sort of is a Thanksgiving tradition with my family. We've lost power on Thanksgiving three times in my in the last twenty years, which is you. Know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but percentage-wise, that's, what, 15% of the time we've lost
0: We get power. a lot of storms through in November. Because, yeah. again, a pineapple express will come through the Pacific Northwest. But, yeah, there was a kind of a freak wind gust through here. and', yeah, and the we're lights didn't... were
1: flickering because I don't live too far from Ryan.
0: Well, I'm in a kind of a protected valley, and we could really see the trees blowing around here when normally it's more on the top of the hill. And then the transformer blew out. We were right in the middle of unwrapping presence and thought, well. well
1: you can do that without power.
0: Uh, someone joked on Facebook saying, Oh, I guess your le- electrical present unwrapper won't right. work. <laughs> but yes, we were able to continue unwrapping presents. But of course, you know, we don't want to stay in a cold dark house, so we went to go see a movie. We went to see Warhorse with Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Oh, hey. Nifty. Yeah, he's he's an it boy right now, isn't he?
0: He's also in Tinker Tailor right. Soldier Spy, exactly. which I really want to go see. And
1: then Sherlock starting again. So Oh yeah. He um was in a show at the National called After the War, I believe was what it was called. And it was going to move to Broadway, and he had it was announced he was going to go with it when it reopened, and then he just changed his mind. And now he's not going because he was getting too many movie offers, and he thought while they were coming in he should concentrate on them.
0: Any good present highlights?
1: Well, you know, we're just kind of trinkets, really. Mm. My mom said she got me a gift certificate, but she forgot to bring it, so I'm not sure where it was from. I made her one. I'm taking her to... A secret location in february i always try to plan something really fun for us to do february since it's such a boring dark dreary month and she might listen to this podcast so i can't tell you oh, okay. where we're going that's but fine I, I can tell you off the no, air because uh, you might want
0: to tell me afterwards
1: take your own bride there sometime too because it's pretty cool
0: it won't be february because we're going to gallifrey one down Ooh, in los angeles cool uh, hang out with the other doctor who fans yeah, I got my uh, Doctor Who Series 6 Blu-ray set. The first Blu-ray I've gotten, even though I've had a player since August. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I couldn't play it because we had no electricity. Uh. Sad face. Yeah, we, let's say we were on a movie, and then we went out to dinner. And then finally got back so late that I ended up seeing Doctor Who on the BBC America repeat at 820 so this is the second time I've actually seen a Doctor Who episode for the very first time on BBC America. Really? You
1: know, my mom watched Graham Norton's Christmas special, when it and it was on the same day, and she and I hadn't seen it. And she was thrilled that for once she had bested me in seeing something before I did.
0: Yeah, I knew it was on the next day, so I just yep. watched the BBC America version of it. In fact, I watched a lot of BBC America mm-hmm. this week, and I should be shilling for them.
1: I think I have that now, but I don't even turn on my box, my cable box, because I just watch British stuff or movies. Yeah. So. I don't know. Well, they had a,
0: a Nerdist special, and then they had a bunch of Doctor Who stuff leading up to that, and I wanted to see Graham Norton, because Matt Smith was on there, right. and Gillian Anderson. And...
1: I was telling Ryan just before he flipped the on switch, I watched a lot of television in the last few days, so he will be very proud of me, because usually I'm just, no, I haven't watched it yet, no, I haven't watched it yet, but I saw quite a bit. Well, what do you want to start with? Should we do Doctor Who? Sure. Saw Doctor Who. What did you think? I thought it was a very good, light Christmassy episode. Was the telegram, now was that saying that her husband definitively had died? It said
0: missing in action.
1: There was some flutter on online about for very sensitive children or children who've lost their parents, that could be kind of upsetting. You're like, oh, you just need to wish hard enough and your parent won't die after all. Which I did was,
0: see some comments to that effect, yeah. especially during the war when a lot of people lost yeah. their dads.
1: I, I lost my dad when I was 10 and yeah, <laughs> you... you, you Want to go back a lot and fix things and change circumstances and can't be done. so that might have ruined it for some kids. but well,
0: there's a plot of another movie that we'll get to here in a bit. Now you probably didn't know this because you haven't I know you haven't seen it, but there was a shout out to a earlier Doctor Who episode because they planet the foresty people, including Bill Bailey was from was Androzani major. Which was a planet that figured into the caves of Andorzani, very famous.
1: I read that online. Yeah. Peter
0: Davis episode. I
1: read all the reviews too, so I'd be able to chalk
0: knowingly about that. Here's but... a fun fact: it's one of the very few planets that the audience has been to, mm-hmm. and the Doctor has not. He oh. never actually made it there, but we there were scenes that were set there where we saw the action unfolding. He was on a spaceship there, but he never made it all the way. He he, hmm. he went back to Andorzani Minor, but it was a little throwaway there for. Uh, callback yeah, to a but how to episode. under
1: underused Bill Bailey and uh, Bear Ware and the guy from Benidorm, whose name I can't think of right now because
0: they were just hardly in it. Oh, and Alexander Armstrong. Yeah, I, I kind of knew they were going to be kind of doing cameos. I mean, you saw Claire mm-hmm. Skinner getting her name in the credits and my wife was, uh, who's she? And I said, well, she's mostly known for outnumbered, which she'd never seen, but she's quite hilarious in that.
1: She's been around a long time. It was funny. Somebody on the forum of television without pity was saying they kept expecting it they kept thinking she was Jane Horrocks, and I said, well, you know, she and Jane Horrocks played twin sisters in a Mike Lee film in 1990, 91. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, good eye there. You could have been a casting director. So uh-huh. She was in Chef. Remember the first season of Chef with Lenny Henry? That was a good 20 years ago. She played his sous chef.
0: Is, is Chef 20 years old?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was his first thing he did with his own production company, because little aside here Lenny Henry had a Disney contract to make three movies but the first one bombed so terribly they bought him out of it and he came back thinking because he was somebody because he got into show business so young with nobody really in his family to advise him they were just oh you do what do what the nice man says you know because they were immigrants and they just didn't know how to approach this that all of a sudden their 14 year old had a burgeoning television career he did he did a lot of stuff that he really wishes in retrospect he hadn't like be on the black and white minstrel show. Oh yeah. And then the Disney thing failed. Don French was on Parkinson talking about how she went out when Lenny had his Disney contract and people had all the casting directors heard. Oh, well, you know, this guy's wife, she he's, she's famous too. She's very established. You should see her. And she'd go in and they would give her this look like, Oh my God, she's fat. And it made her feel terrible. So I don't know. That might've also colored a little bit of that. So, um, yeah, once he went back to L- London, he decided it was just the new whole complete phase of his life, and he started his own production company and took a lot more interest in, in building his programs and projects from the ground up. And C- Chef was the very first one, and Claire Skinner was in it.
0: Oh, yeah, it's been so many years since I've seen it.
1: Yeah, it's maybe not quite 20, but at least 18. Wow. Yeah, long time.
0: Getting back to the Doctor Who Christmas special, right. I was sort of disappointed that there wasn't a real threat. The doctor tried to do a good deed, and he just happened to drop everyone in the wrong place at the wrong time, but managed to get out of it with more luck than skill. Just the
1: acid rain, huh?
0: Well, it was man versus nature. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd call those kind of, you know, dramas there. But, you know, they they tried to make the wooden creatures somewhat monstery, but they didn't actually do anything very menacing other than look scary. Mm -hmm. But they weren't really that. But yeah, sure, lucky that trees trees have the technology to build a vehicle that can travel the time vortex. (laughs) What do you know? Yeah, and that a compatible host would just happen to along to save the life force of the planet, even though the planet was completely lifeless. Yeah, and
1: it's only meant to be, what, 3,000 years in the future? Didn't he he say it was the year 50-something-something? Yeah, Yeah, so we're not talking about uh, the end of the world when the forest of Cheem had had billions and billions of years to evolve and
0: well, intelligent trees, I don't find that hard to believe cuz those were earth trees. Oh yeah. This could be a completely different planet in the Androzani system or oh, okay. somewhere somewhere nearby. Uh, I didn't see somebody joke saying, "Wait, they made they made acid for their uh, batteries, but they had to use acid rain?" Mm-hmm. How does that work? Oh, I wouldn't worry about those kind of things. And then uh you know we saw Claire Skinner trying to drive a car. Remember when the doctor had his helmet on backwards yes. and she kept hitting things? And yet she was able to pilot this vehicle across the planet's surface to reach them, having read the manual for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, why not? She's mother. (laughs) Mother, mummy
0: always comes. It's a Christmas miracle. And, you know, Russell T. Davis, uh, you know, he'd always up the stakes and, you know, the earth is threatened every Mm -hmm. year. We're going to destroy London this time. Uh, but, you know, he had that common touch that brought casual viewers to the series time and again. And I kind of worry that under Stephen Moffat that Doctor Who is kind of blurring the line between what's science fiction and what is fantasy.
1: Yeah, there there was a lot of comments that there was just too much packed into the episode, even with an hour. And if they'd taken a few things out, they could have had more scenes with the Doctor and Madge or maybe developed the kids a little better.
0: I'm certainly not knocking telefantasy. I mean, people love mm-hmm. Merlin; it's a very popular show, and I'm looking forward to the new season being on Sci-Fi next month, which is where I catch them. But I think of Doctor Who as a science fiction program. You tend to kind of have a different set of expectations at a Christmas special. You know, it's meant to be the whole family's watching. Right. You just finished your big Christmas meal. And on most Christmas specials, you can get an appearance by Santa Claus that nobody blinks, even in traditional sitcoms. you know, It's like, yeah, okay, you can have fantastic elements because it's that time of the year. Right,
1: or ghosts of Christmas past.
0: And the and the sentimentality element, which is what Moffat's real strong point in, was great. I mean, the ending was quite nice to see. Amy and Rory there, and he walks in the house and his a little tear.
1: Smith just just have a great face. I was just thinking when Amy was squirting him with the water pistol, just the reactions there. I couldn't picture anybody else doing it quite as perfectly.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, we all love Matt Smith. I like Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, that the, Amy, this will be her last season. Yeah. And I saw people like react with Hugh and cry, and I'm like, have you been ever watching Doctor Who? And the whole point is the assistants leave. In fact, what, she's going to be two and a half years. That's, uh, that's a record these days. You always have new assistants come in. Right. And like new doctors, it happens. Did you see any of the Charlie Brooker's Black Mirrors? No. He produced this series of three one-off dramas for Channel 4 that took a look at how technology might impact society in the future. Hmm. And the first one was uh, the National Anthem. A popular royal princess is kidnapped, and the ransom demand is for the British Prime Minister to appear on live television and have sex with a pig. Oh, okay. Uh, Lindsay Duncan played the PM's ruthless advisor, and the suspense builds about whether he'll go through with it or not before the princess can be rescued. It's cynicism at its finest, and with a surprisingly happy ending, although not without consequences.
1: Oh, that poor pig. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The second drama, 15 Million Merits, starred up-and-coming actor Daniel Kaluuya as Bing. A drone in a dystopian future where you literally bicycle all day to generate credits, which are needed for everything from toothpaste to turning off annoying spam advertisements that fill your sleeping cubicle surround video screens. Hmm. The ads are are so all-pervasive that closing your eyes triggers an alarm until you open them up again and continue watching. Despite all the high-tech shininess, it's a lot like being in hell. Bing notices Abby, a cute fellow bicycle jockey played by Downton Abbey's Jessica Brown Finley, and discovers she has a good singing voice. He offers to front her the 15 million merits he inherited from his brother, a fortune, as her entry free into a popular but vicious reality competition show where a Simon Cowell-like judge is played by Rupert Everett. I can see that. Abby's performance wows the audience, but the ruthless judges decide she'd be better suited for one of the hardcore porn channels. Bing, now broke and forced to see Abby's sex channel advertised on TVs all around him, because he can't hit the mute button anymore, he doesn't have any money left, goes back to work to earn another 15 million merits so he can get on a reality show and get his revenge. And let's just say there's a certain irony to the ending.
1: Sounds a little bit of uh, the Ben Elton book, Blind Faith is the name of it, the one set in the future that has a lot of similar things and with your Charlie Brookers, three different, separate. There's a lot of A lot of, uh, I don't know if you read that, but there's a lot of similar things happening.
0: Oh, we have a guest star cat here. Hello, cat What do you think about British TV? I find it a fine thing to sit on a lap and go to sleep in front of. And that's that's the cat review. Uh, The third Black Mirror drama was The Entire History of You, which posits a world where a memory chip behind your ear allows you to record every single moment of your life, play it back, and even share it with your friends.
1: And yeah, that, that's Ben Elton's book, too. Jesse
0: Armstrong wrote the script for this one. And if you are a jealous husband who thinks his wife is having an affair, you can imagine how the arguments go when you have video backup of every single statement and comment ever spoken on the record and available for review. So sometimes honesty is not the best policy.
1: Hmm. Well, that sounds good.
0: Yes, a big fan of Charlie Brooker. We've obviously done a show about him. Kind of push people's face and saying, you know, not all these gadgets and gizmos you're getting are going to make your life better. (laughs) Just think about them. And there's Without You, uh, Anna Friel from Pushing Daisies, but she's actually British, so she was having her regular British accent here, in a three-part ITV drama as Ellie Manning, a woman whose husband, Greg, played by your favorite, Mark Warren.
1: I've got it sitting at home, but I I didn't watch it because it wasn't Christmassy.
0: It definitely is not christmas Eve. Mark plays Greg. He dies in a car accident with a strange woman sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. And Ellie can't believe her husband was having an affair, and the coroner's inquest rules it an accident. She becomes obsessed with trying to find the truth and even infiltrate the unknown woman's business in order to dig up more information about her and her connection to Greg. And even though he's killed off early in the story, Warren continues to make appearances throughout the miniseries as Ellie has imagined conversations with him, trying to piece everything together. And Freels, effective as a woman who remains in shock for weeks, appears to her friends to have lost her mind, but doggedly is determined to get to the bottom of things. We have a cat playing with a wire here. Yes, I, the the last cats we had were inveterate plastic bag eaters. You could not leave shopping bags around. And the new batch of cats here love to eat cables, and they've already chewed through two of my oh, iPhone no. earbuds, which are 31 bucks to replace.
1: Mine don't do any of that.
0: You have good kitties, huh? hmm no. So did you see Lost Christmas? Yes. Okay. With the fire juggling. Yes.
1: And I saw that Eddie was the executive producer of it as well.
0: I definitely think it was some vehicle that he kind of wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also in Treasure Island, which I don't know when Sky 1 is showing that. Is that in the new year? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's should not be... for
1: a few weeks, but... Interesting. ...looking forward to that.
0: Well, Lost Christmas, a young boy loses his parents on Christmas Eve to be brought up with his diminished-capacity grandmother. I assume she has Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or something similar. And he becomes a sneak thief for a family friend who is a fence for stolen property. And into this sad world the following Christmas is the sudden appearance of Anthony, a very odd fellow who comes out of nowhere. And Anthony is played by a very nearly bald Eddie Izard in a performance that is not unlike that of the Doctor immediately after Regeneration.
1: Yeah, he he talked about it in a number of different interviews, maybe it was in one interview, being written about by different people saying that the character has no fear at all and no memory. And he feels like he's always had a tendency to overthink and overplay things. And he tried to go the opposite direction with this one and just kind of just sort of hang out and be.
0: Be Zen. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, you, I almost thought that maybe he was auditioning to be the next Doctor Who and you know, he's thrown together clothes. Someone should make a really clever mashup video with him as the next Doctor. Because just all the weird stuff he says, it's gonna be very typical Doctor Who kind of dialogue. But Anthony has the power to relive people's pasts when he touches them, and this allows him to begin fixing what's wrong in everyone's lives. So is he an angel, an alien, a Time Lord? Well, I'm not going to spoil things, but I will say that some time travel is involved... And being a BBC Christmas time special with the word Christmas in the title, you can expect a good dash of sentimentality and an upbeat ending.
1: Well, I think that's a pretty big spoiler that time travel is involved.
0: Is it? <laughs> yes, but not the way you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then there was uh, Jason Fleming, played the friend of the family who turned to a life of crime after right. his wife left him.
1: And the vampire Henrik, he was the one who ran the antique shop. Oh, yeah, a little
0: cameo there. Jason <laughs> yeah. um, Watkins. I always I can
1: always, Watkins. I can always spot those dimples a mile away. Yep, saw that. And what else have I watched? Watch The Borrowers. Quite enjoyed that. My favorite moment was Stephen Fry crawling through the tunnel. He looked like this demented, huge baby coming to, on his hands and knees.
0: Yeah, so it's based on the, uh, the an adaptation of the Mary Norton novels. Stephen had, well, he basically uh, essentially played the villain in this thing, since mm-hmm. he was a professor who theorized about the existence of, bar, or what do you call them, homo, homo sapien Redu- reductus. Mm-hmm. But he needed, of course, to have a proof of them, and wasn't averse to uh, dissecting them to find out what made them work either. I wouldn't say he quite went into Christmas panto territory with his performance, but I don't think it would be unjust to call it broad.
1: No, it was fairly broad. Very
0: broad, yes.
1: He was quite smitten with Victoria Wood as well, which was cute.
0: Victoria Wood playing a granny. Yes. And uh, Christopher Eccleston playing Pod Clock, the father of the borrower's family. And he got to do lots of running around and adventuring that he doesn't normally do in the kind of dramas that he appears in.
1: Yep, it was, it was all good. I, I was unfamiliar with the two. Female, the mother and daughter character. But of course, Robert Sheehan showed up and he's always welcome.
0: Yeah, he played kind of a lovable rogue like he did in Misfits, although Mm -hmm. without the profanity being this is, you know, primetime BBC one and not after the watershed E4. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Now, that was one show that I sort of had in the back of my mind when I was in London. I might go see it that I didn't. He was starring in Playboy of the Western World at the Old Vic Oh. And the unusual thing was the prices were very, very low compared with all the other um, professional theater things. So um, I know that Kevin Spacey's one of his main things he's done is in his tenure as artistic director there is try to get. He realized that people who actually lived in the area of the Old Vic never went to the theater. So he tried to bring them in through a number of things, and subsidizing some of the shows was one of them. So maybe that was it. And he'd gotten great reviews. I just. There was too much to see. And yes. that fell off the list in the end.
0: I, I like Robert Sheehan a lot. I'm glad to see him doing this because, you know, he was in the terrible Nicolas Cage movie and I thought, Oh God, has he gone Hollywood? So it's nice to see him doing nice, lovely BBC family production. I like the borrowers. Uh, basically it's a you know a runaround adventure. They the borrowers get discovered and they have to escape and they go to their little town and they hire Robert Sheehan to get them. Out of the city, which is what Chris Eccleston's character wants to do. He thinks that, I guess, civilization and people are a bad influence on his daughter. But she has an adventurous spirit and uh, ends up rescuing them, of course. And Stephen Fry ends up with egg on his face.
1: (laughs) I kept expecting them to come down with typhoid fever, though, the way they were crawling around in sewers. Oh, there
0: was very clean. Notice there was not a lot of dust, never heard any insects or anything Mm -hmm. that you would find under floorboards and stuff like that. So a very clean world that they lived in
1: oh but when they were in the sewer that was pretty muddy and it was a storm sewer it
0: may not have been a a, a septic sewer you know what's underneath london there what was the nationality of stephen fry's assistant i couldn't quite figure it out um she was australian australian yeah she had an australian accent i thought she was supposed to be like eastern european or something
1: no i think she was australian you can listen to that again
0: I know there's been very a lot of different versions of The Borrowers over the years, and certainly with 2011, they had the production values to be able to scale the people down and have them mm. running around in this oversized world, and it looked very slick and seamless.
1: With enormous zippers, because they were wearing dolly clothes. I liked that.
0: Yes. <laughs> what else have we got here? Uh, just Henry.
1: No, didn't see that.
0: Okay. Well, life in post-war Britain was shown through the eyes of a young man whose father died during the London Blitz. Henry loves going to the movies and has an interest in photography, but is unmotivated in school until an inspirational teacher played by Barbara Flynn intervenes. Henry is forced to collaborate on a project with another boy whose father scandalously deserted during the war, making the family marked with shame. And at first Henry has nothing but contempt for him, but then discovers the life and death of his own father is not what it seemed in this BBC TV movie. Now, things got laid on a bit thick near the end, like Henry's mum going into labor immediately after they were kidnapped, and the rather plotting way the police reacted to real villains of the 1950s. Dean Andrews from Ashes to Ashes, remember him? Mm -hmm. Uh, He continues to escape typecasting as a bastard by playing another sympathetic father figure, kind of much as he did in Marshlands. I think he (laughs) he wanted to get away from that uh, kind of person he was playing. Uh, Just Henry was a nicely mounted period coming-of-age movie with winning performances by the entire cast.
1: I saw Rob Brydon's Christmas special. Oh. It was really short. It was only half an hour. It seemed to just start to get going and then it was over. But Who do you have on? He had no fielding. He had some blonde gal I didn't uh, recognize. And he had that character comedian who was on the last season of Shooting Stars. Oh, right. Angelo something or other. He came on and then, and then a stand-up comedian came on and didn't sit on the couch but did a little bit of his act and... Didn't impress me enough to learn his name, but and then it was over. So it was, that was interesting. Uh, didn't watch Ruth Jones. Didn't seem that Miranda had one this year.
0: No, I hope they'll be an Unwrapped sometime soon. I haven't actually gotten to the schedule yet. Tomorrow morning I will uh, go through and work on the schedule for the first week in January and we'll see what uh, treats await us here. Well I think
1: she's Eddie's team partner. On the big fat quiz, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so excellent. That will be fun. Yeah. She's going to tower over him. He's not a tall gentleman.
0: They're sitting down, though. Oh.
1: That's... <laughs> well, still. Torso-wise, she's got a few inches on him, I think.
0: Probably. Yeah, I wanted to put uh, Miranda on my top ten list, and I realized there were new Miranda episodes in 2011. Mm. So that's the only reason it's not on there. But uh, we're definitely looking forward to the third series, which will be on BBC One.
1: Did you see her... Hosted episode of Have I Got News for You? Yes. Recently, very good. My favorite of the season that I've seen so far, and I've seen most of them.
0: Did you see Catherine Tate's uh, Laughing at the Notties? No. Because Maren Hart was in that, and also talk with Noel Fielding quite a bit about Mighty Boosh.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said um, that uh, Julian's off doing theater Oh, right now, so the Bush is kind of on hiatus. He, Julian wanted to try his hand at legitimate straight theater, so... Knowles doing his own show, which is even crazier than The Boosh. Hard to imagine. Yep.
0: And then there was Lapland.
1: No, I didn't see that.
0: It was another BBC TV movie. It could be called Benidorm Goes North, with an extended British family going on a trip to Lapland around Christmas time. Sue Johnston plays the matriarch of the family whose husband has just passed away. Her two adult children have both married and each have two kids of their own. Julie Graham plays one of the wives, a bit of a smart mouth who'd rather be home for Christmas sitting on the sofa than stuck in a winter wonderland. The kids are anxious to see Santa, but numerous coach trips narrated by the irritating Jingle Jill to Lapland's tourist highlights never quite reach him. And Jill was played by Zowie Ashton. She was last seen as a rebellious housemate in Channel 4's Fresh Meat. Of course, there are fights and manufactured drama like any family in a drama like this. But the differences are resolved by the time the Northern Lights are finally spotted. And I doubt this will convince anyone that Lapland should be their holiday vacation destination next year. <laughs> and then, uh, did you see the Downton Abbey Christmas special?
1: No. It's not a show I've really watched. Oh! So I know I should. There's just so many to catch up with now.
0: And So, did you see series two? No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's difficult to talk about, uh the Downton Abbey Christmas special, without giving spoilers for the second season, which begins next week on PBS. Mm -hmm. I assume most of our listeners are going to be seeing it then. I will say that it got an audience appreciation index of 92, which is a real feat. By comparison, Doctor Who got an 84. Mm -hmm. I will say this about the last season of Downton Abbey. Despite some dodgy detours during the second series, which saw storylines involving crippling injuries and amnesia, I was waiting for an evil twin to turn up, Overall, Downton Abbey is still a very compelling drama. What put it over the top for me was the Christmas special, though. Imagine sitting through a typical soap opera where the writers suddenly step on the gas pedal and crash through every secret, lie, and hidden agenda that has been percolating for the past two years in an astonishing rush of revelations and plot advancement. Maybe the numerous commercial breaks were so the audience could catch its breath. The Downton Abbey Christmas special might be one of the best ones I've ever seen, delivering everything you'd want in a series, with the possible exception of a lost dog plotline, that thoroughly rewards fans of the show. I mean, no wonder it got a 92 AI. Now, I have no idea if PBS has scheduled the Christmas special as part of its Series 2 package, or else if Americans will have to wait until next Christmas to see it. But rest assured, it is very much worth the wait, if only to hear the best comeback you'll ever witness from Maggie Smith. And that's saying something. (laughs) She gets the best one-liners. <laughs> Did you see the first of the new AbFabs?
1: Yes, just saw that.
0: Yeah, it was uh, called Identity, the first of three new episodes for the now 20-year-old comedy. Uh, Jennifer Saunders keeps... The J-Team, as they call it. Is that what they call it? Well, because it's Julia, Jennifer,
1: Joanna, June, and Jane. Oh, so. well,
0: that is, yes. Yep. I didn't realize that. Well, they're all back. Adina, Patsy, yep. Saffron, Mum, and even Bubble. And Saunders even works in a parody of the cult series, The Killing, with the original Danish star of the series appearing in a dream sequence Mm -hmm. with her famous pullover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I never realized that Saffron's kooky Asian friend is played by Torchwood's Naoko Mori. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Yeah. She hadn't been on it for a while, but.
0: But she always turns up as Saffron's buddy and then she kind of runs away in tears and she had another cameo in this one. And BBC America begins running these next week.
1: Well, there are to be three of them, but I heard that it was just Christmas, New Year's, and then the other one's going to be on during the Olympics.
0: So, oh, okay. So a
1: bit of a wait for the third.
0: Hmm. And then the Royal Bodyguard, uh, J- David Jason, stars in this BBC comedy series as an incompetent bodyguard to the Queen, which he plays in much the same manner as Leslie Nielsen's Frank Drebin in The Naked Gun, although without the sight gags. The humor is so lowbrow and broad, I honestly thought it might have been produced for children's television. Although that's an insult to children's TV. But no, The Royal Bodyguard is BBC One Primetime Entertainment. Now, I like David Jason a lot, and his TV legacy is assured, but this is not one of his best projects. Any other Christmas TV highlights...
1: Well, I've kept abreast with Have I Got News for You and the QIs, and so...
0: I thought Dan Stevens from Down Abbey did a great job as He did guest a very host. good job. I thought he was very uh, funny. I saw the
1: Tim Minchin song that got cut from Wassy's show. Didn't see the show, but have you seen that? Of no, I'd,
0: I'd heard that they did cut it out for some yeah, bizarre reason. Yeah, it's on reason. YouTube, and mm,
1: okay. where he compares Jesus to a number of things like, uh, could do things just like Darren Brown, and and he could rise from the dead like he was in a movie from si- by Simon Pegg, and...
0: Did he get censored or was it just cut for time?
1: It was cut for the content. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And, oh, they, How Not to Live Your Life had a Christmas special that wrapped up the series. And he kind of matured Don enough to actually get a permanent girlfriend there. And it was very, I kind of like that show. It was just, you know, it was he was such an idiot, but then, you know, he had this sort of level of sweetness in there, the Dan Clark series. And then we talked about Little Crackers.
1: Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. I saw the the Babs, Windsor, which was... I didn't recognize Barbara Windsor playing the bra sales lady for a second there. She was so toned down from her usual self.
0: And, I'm always looking to spot, you know, who's famous in there. And mm-hmm. uh, like in the Sheridan Smith one, Ellen Davis has a cameo, along mm-hmm. with Sheridan Smith playing her own mom. And they, at the end of most of these, they incorporate home movies or pictures showing you the right. famous people as they were kids there. Sky One's uh, Little Crackers are great. You just... Nice little twelve minute stories so with beginning, middles and ends and
1: Well something I have yet to watch is the um the old Bleak House of Stuff or something like that. <laughs> Christmas episode. Stephen Fry's in that as well and Robert Webb and oh. it's a parody of Bleak House and all the old Dickensian
0: is it a radio show or a...
1: no? It's a television. Oh, yeah. okay. So I was—I didn't quite get to that, but I'll probably watch it tonight.
0: I'll have to see that. I—I I, I was unaware of that.
1: Yeah, and and watch the Tim Mention song too. It's—it's it's on YouTube. It's only three minutes long. But... Okay. We
0: we'll put a link in our show notes.
1: Yep. But I and it—I mean, it had references to Darren Brown and Simon Pegg. You gotta like that. Although, have you? Did you ever read Simon Pegg's book? No, I didn't. I got it from the library, and he just—he isn't a writer. <laughs> oh, he he makes so many grammar mistakes. It was really getting on my nerves. Ooh, the one editor. that really he's he does it when he's speaking as well as written is he uses the word myself when he should be using me or I. So huh. myself and Nick decided to go. And no, no, no. <laughs> so and then he or else me and Nick or it's just ugh. so. Yeah, it was just. Some, I can I can take a little bit of that, but I, I it was just...
0: Send him the elements of style. He
1: really, really needed the elements of style or, or an editor, yeah.
0: I saw both his movies. I saw Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, oh. which he gets a big featured part in there. I yes, mean, he's yes. He's one of Tom Cruise's team, and he gets great some one-liners and stuff, and then he's in The Adventures of Tintin along with Nick Frost... Uh, playing two characters who look very identical and sound very identical. I mean, they'd be talking to, to each other, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's Nick. That's Simon. That's Nick." That's, and then I get confused.
1: Yeah, they were on some talk show, which I saw, and I can't think now if it was Graham or Alan Carr or something, but they were on promoting Tintin.
0: It's done very well overseas, not so much in this country. It was okay. I mean, considering it was written by Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. and Joe Cornish, that mm-hmm. it would be, and directed by Steven Spielberg, and produced by Peter Jackson, that it would be. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I read Tintin a little bit when I was a kid, and I forgot that it definitely is a very boys own adventure. There's one female character in the entire movie is an opera singer, and she's on and off in like three minutes, and that's it. There are no well, girls in the well, movie. Did
1: you see the interview of, of Nick and Simon no. talking? Because they said that Peter Jackson was in... He was advising Steven Spielberg, but he was in New Zealand, so he was on, like, a Skype thing. So he was like a head in the jar. They'd bring him in and <laughs> set him down somewhere, and he'd ask if he could be moved over there, and they'd pick him up and move him over, and it was just the strangest thing. He said, can you take me into the other room now? So somebody would go and wheel Peter's head into the other room so he could see what was in there.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: it's quite an image.
0: The good cast, though yeah, Jamie Bell.
1: I like Jamie Bell a lot. You know, the Nic- there were two versions of Nicholas Nickleby that came out a year apart in the early '90s. There was a TV miniseries version, and then there was a film. And Jamie Bell played Smike in the film, and Lee Engleby played Smike in the TV version. And I have to say, as much as I like Lee, Jamie really was the one that just ripped my heart out. He was so good. And he managed this walk that looked like he'd had his foot broken and it had never healed. Hmm. And they said he had to do physical therapy in the commentary. He had to do physical therapy afterwards (laughs) because he had just messed himself up, but it looked great for his character. I think in the film, Romola Gary played Nicholas's sister and and Sophia miles played it on the TV version. I mean, it was really interesting to see Hmm. two versions of the same story. Um, And I I rented them both on Netflix and watched them almost back to back. It was quite interesting having, like, well, I liked what he did, but I liked what he did. They had very, 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 very different Nicholases. I think one of them was Rupert Penry Jones, and the other was the Charlie Hunam from Queer as Folk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they're incredibly different. Hmm. And in the film, um, Barry Humphreys played both a female dame pantomime dame and a male character in the same theater company you'd and at one point had a talk with himself it was very fun and alan cumming was in the film so i can recommend those too if you're feeling they're a little christmasy they're not really christmasy but they still feel christmasy to me because they're kind of set in the winter and quite like them if you're feeling dickensian and you get all through your british uh christmas telly
0: eventually. go ahead and
1: get the nicholas nickleby's and and watch them Well, I'll say something. It's not Christmassy at all that I watched, Mm -hmm. and I I might not have watched it, but it was a reality show that was just on, I think, last month, but it was filmed over the summer called My Transsexual Summer. Did you read anything, hear anything about it? No. Seven transitioning people from about, I think the youngest was 22 and the oldest was 52, just did five weekend retreats and it was a reality show but the um, there's been it wasn't a lot of a competition show
0: it was just a dozen competition,
1: there was no no voting, no red carpet, no tasks, and there's been a lot in the press how maybe that's gonna change all reality shows or more reality shows now because they didn't have there was no they were just supportive of each other these people completely and every and there were just seven sweethearts instead of the nasty ones and being cast for conflicts and being stupid and it was a huge huge hit people just loved it who shot it it was channel four and i have a friend who was transitioning and i downloaded it for her and then i just started watching and i was completely hooked it was great Hmm. Um, yeah, there were three female-to-male people and and four male-to-female, um, and the oldest one was 52 and was just about to get her reassignment surgery paid for by the NHS. But what you kind of learned there is that you're, if you want this surgery, you have to. It really depends where you live in Great Britain and how good of a doctor you have, because other people in this who wanted similar surgery were getting turned down hmm. by the NHS because, no, it's cosmetic and this and that. Ah. And there was one young man who he put on the quest for the chest for his top surgery and uh, really bonded with his dad because he lived with his mom, his parents were divorced, and the dad had never really quite accepted that his daughter, Lois, had become the son, Lewis. It was just a real feel good kind of interesting show and things I didn't know before. But yeah, it's been written out really not so much about its subject matter, but because everybody was so likable in the series that it, that the audience just loved it and wanted more and was saying, "Look, well, wants to know what's going to happen next with these people. And oh. so they might actually do some more casting of different reality shows similarly and try to actually get people who are kind and supportive of each other because it was such a feel good kind of thing instead of
0: Is Channel 4 making up for introducing Big Brother to Britain? I
1: guess so. Yeah, it was real interesting. It was just they just had five long extended weekends at this really nice place out in the country and then they'd follow people back to their real lives and not all seven had their quote unquote stories featured. They picked out, I think, a few of them and and really kind of followed them more. But it was it was very heartwarming and hmm. special and they all became great friends and some of them didn't know any other transgendered people Really? So that yeah. Hmm. So that was one of the the younger ones. And there was one the one of the gals Dawn who's 22. She just couldn't get hired and they actually took the camera crew along with some different job interviews and it was always well we have no problem with that. But we, but we can tell that you used to be a guy and our customers might feel uncomfortable. And I mean, it was incredible how hmm. often she got this before finally she just got this little job at a coffee house in a mall. And all the other people who worked there were about her age and they all liked her and the customers were fine. They didn't care. And that meant this little job in a coffee house meant the world to her because she was just, she just wanted to be, she was saying, I want to be a productive member of society and bring money into the house where I live with my mom. That's all I want. And I should get that. So, and she was right. And she has a blog on YouTube and she still has that job and she's loving it.
0: Well, sweet. Yeah. Well, I thought we'd finish the year with a top 10 list.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I don't have one, but you go ahead.
0: Well, feel free to chime in mm-hmm. with any uh, things you might put on here or go, What? You put that on there? Are you crazy? Um, I'll do the reverse order here. Number 10, Doctor Who. It didn't have quite as good a year as last year when it was my top pick, but it's still hugely entertaining when it's at its best, and I have high hopes as it heads into its 50th anniversary year in 2013. So more stories like the Neil Gaiman one. <laughs> Number nine was the miniseries The Sinking of the Laconia on the BBC. Alan Bleasdale wrote the true-life story of a German U-boat that sinks a ship full of civilians and then picks up the survivors and helps them to safety. It has well-mounted, great performances from Lindsay Duncan and Andrew Buchan, and it made this a gripping war drama. Number eight, this is something I've been foisting a lot of my friends here, the Children's Series and this year's British Comedy Award winner, Horrible Histories. Mm-hmm. Events in history are brought alive in sketches, songs, and animation, which is too good for just children's television. And a compilation series hosted by Stephen Fry was shown in primetime this year, the perfect show that demonstrates that educational programs don't have to be dull. Don't know why they're not showing it in this country. Uh, My pick for number seven was Hugo Blick's The Shadow Line, a seven-part, very dark drama that was not for all tastes, but I just ate up at cynicism and great turns by Jaweedle Ijoafor and Christopher Eccleston as wounded souls on either side of the drug trade. My favorite comedy of the year was the final season of Ideal at number six. I loved the crazy madcap characters that filled this Johnny Vegas series about low-rent drug dealers and their friends living in a Manchester building. The best one-liners on television It will be missed. Number five was being human with another gripping third series, although I'm kind of worried that cast changes for the next series might conscript it to the same fate as Misfits with too much turnover alienating fans. Assuming everyone has seen the third series, you know, Aiden Turner is not coming back. He's dead. Really, really dead.
1: He, He got staked. Yeah. And so did Henrik and his dimples.
0: I'd like to see more Lee Ingleby. I don't know if the plan is to bring him back or whether he was just sort of a one-off King of the Vampires. Thousand-year-old, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four was the miniseries The Crimson Petal and The White, starring Romola Garai and one of a number of strong performances in 2011 by Chris O'Dowd. Mm -hmm. This was his year, and he was in Bridesmaid, which might get an Academy Award nomination.
1: Right, and he's in their next project that the exact same team of people is doing too, Kristen Wiig. Oh, yeah. Except this time he's paired off with um, the other... Ex SNL Maya Rudolph, he'll be her husband in the next one. That they, but they have this little ensemble that it's almost the entire bridesmaids people making a completely different movie now.
0: Well, Graham Lanahan announced that they're not going to do another series of the IT Crowd. Mm-hmm. You probably saw in Entertainment Weekly the picture that oh, yeah, Richard Iwate is in Ben Stiller's next movie.
1: Yeah, Neighborhood Watch. Yeah, I saw that.
0: So good on him. Back to uh, the Crimson Petal and the White uh, it was the life of a Victorian prostitute. Told in this first-rate adaptation that really showed the grimness and misery back then. It was definitely not your mother's period costume drama.
1: No, and I and I even slogged through the book, which is enormous. Took this fellow twenty years to write. It's a huge, huge book, and it was very good too. Yes, but I think they did a good job of of taking the best of it for the miniseries.
0: We talked about that way back on in some show, which I don't know which number it was. Ah, Shameless was my third favorite series of twenty eleven. A great drama still anchored by David Threlfall as Frank Gallagher, his family, neighbors, and friends. And it's a rarity for a British series to hit a hundred episodes. Number two was The Promise, a very topical Channel 4 drama about the Middle East situation and how it came to be. Dramatized through the eyes of a modern girl as well as her grandfather, who was at the messy establishment of Israel. Is really tragic, and all the more so because even though it has fictional characters, the situation they are in is all too real. And it's pretty amazing to kind of just be dropped into this world. And number one this year was Downton Abbey, which, like I said earlier, was capped by the two-hour Amazing Christmas episode. And though writer Julian Fellows can't resist using well-worn soap opera cliches sometimes, his characters are so vivid and, for the most part, decent, we can't help get involved in their lives. It might be impossible for them to top it in the third season, but I'm sure Fellows has more dramatic tricks up his sleeve in 2012. Yeah, my honorable mentions for 2011 would be uh, Luther and The Hour, uh, Misfits, The Fades, which I saw trailered crazily on BBC America, and it might even have a bigger audience here than it did in Britain because it was on BBC Three over there and Mm -hmm. kind of got mixed reviews. I thought it was really good. You know, kind of a serious horror miniseries. And Daniel Kaluuya is in that as well. And then Lark Rides to Candleford, which uh, I always enjoyed that show. and Mm -hmm. This was his last season, so that was another one that I liked. Yeah, coming up, there's a new version of Great Expectations, beginning on the BBC. It ran too late for us to review. And it stars Gillian Anderson, Ray Winstone, and David Suchet. And it'll be on Masterpiece Classic in the spring. I know they just showed the uh, Poirot, The Clocks, this week on ITV, which was on PBS ages ago. Mm -hmm. It's so strange how they schedule those things. It
1: does happen sometimes with Marples, too.
0: Yeah. they Basically, ITV, you know, they shoot these things all in a row, and then they hold them for holidays, whereas over here, they just bung them on.
1: Yeah, I actually prefer watching Marples in the American broadcast because no commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah, I
0: can't actually imagine sitting through Downton Abbey in real time. There are a lot of advert breaks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a 93-minute program in a two-hour slot. That's American-level yeah. ad breakage. And the new series of Sherlock is coming beginning on January 1st in the UK. Another three TV movies will reunite Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes with Martin Freeman's Dr. Watson. PBS won't be showing them until April or May, but if you just can't wait to see them but you're allergic to piracy, the Region 2 DVD of the three will be released in the UK on January 23rd. So it's perfectly legal to import it from Amazon.co.uk, assuming you have a region-free DVD player.
1: Well, we'll have to get that, because, you know, I got the first series before, and way before it became available to PBS, but I, I prefer PBS stations. So certain episodes found their way to people there, and because of that, we actually were one of the few stations to use a episode of Sherlock as a pledge special and pledge premiums with it, and it did extremely well, so...
0: Yeah, it's not going to sneak onto the again. schedules, well, especially in Britain, being getting a New Year's Day launch, whereas the first series was you know, bunged out in August, and they really kind of thought it would sink without a trace, and whoa, were they surprised.
1: And then freaked, because there were only three episodes. Yeah, that just made
0: everyone so sad. It takes a lot to produce a quality Sherlock Holmes story. I mean, you just, you're not going to do 13 a year. No one is that good of a writer. So yeah, I'd rather get three good ones than 13 kind of uh, mediocre ones. And, you know, trying to nail down Cumberbatch and Freeman in the same room is going to get harder and harder. Those guys are both in big demand. So hopefully they've got them locked up to do a third batch at some point.
1: It's funny, though, if you look at the Internet Movie Database under Martin Freeman, people were calling for him. If there's ever a version of The Hobbit, Martin Freeman has to play Bilbo Baggins 10 years ago in the comments. It's so funny. It's kind of like talk of the role you're born to play.
0: Uh, He's living the the dream.
1: And the the preview came out just last week, wasn't it? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, I saw it in 3D even. And uh, Yeah, it's like, oh, 350 days until this movie comes out. (laughs) This is cruel. But yeah, a lot to look forward to uh, at the end of next year. Uh, Meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com. I still update it every Wednesday with what's on TV this week. And you can find links to headlines and show notes for this episode and an archive of our previous 101 episodes, which people are still downloading. They had quite a few unboxing days, as a matter of fact. I was quite surprised to see, I guess. It used to be that everyone got new computers on Christmas, and so you'd see this great increase on traffic. But I think computers have pretty much hit saturation that, you know, everyone's going to have a computer, already owns a computer. But maybe it was just that usual Monday, everyone goes back to work and decides to download stuff. But uh, I'm not sure when we will gather again to talk to you fine folks about British TV, probably when we hit a critical mass of stuff. Although we're not going to have an Easter launch of Doctor Who this year, so nope. uh, nothing there. When the mood strikes us, this is when it will happen. I guess so. So stay tuned to our Facebook page, um, on Twitter, at Brit TV Podcast, and you get all the info there. So thanks for listening to our holiday broadcast
1: yeah from Brian Christie and one very tuckered out kitty cat oh she woke up when I said kitty cat
0: and we wish you all happy 2012 bye bye bye